Good afternoon, and welcome to the Jewish Policy Center webinar. I am Shoshana Bryan, Senior Director of the JPC, and your host. We're back to China this week. Since the outbreak of the Wuhan virus, which is the correct name for COVID-19, the U.S. appears to have awakened to threats posed by China to Western interests, both here and in the Pacific region. Before we go to our guest, Germat Lailuri, who's going to discuss the potential for Chinese military action near Taiwan sooner than we think it might happen, let me give you our JPC commercial. We were established in 1985 as a 501c3 organization, providing analysis of both foreign and domestic policies. You can find us on our website, jewishpolicycenter.org. There you can sign up for our insight articles and see our magazine in focus quarterly. The summer issue is up right now, and I think you'll find it interesting. You can also find all of the webinars you missed. So that's jewishpolicycenter.org. The JPC supports a strong American defense capability, U.S.-Israel security cooperation, and missile defense. We support the legitimacy of, and security of Israel against anyone who would deny them. None of this right-to-exist stuff. We support legitimacy and security for the state of Israel. We also strongly protest the U.S. government interference in the domestic affairs of our ally, Israel. As an organization that sits slightly to the right of center, the JPC advocates for small government, low taxes, free trade, fiscal responsibility, energy security, free speech, and intellectual diversity. A reminder, uh, you can ask questions during the program. We monitor the Q&A function. And now our guest. Kermont Lillery is a retired U.S. Air Force foreign, er foreign Area Officer specializing in the Middle East and Europe, as well as counterterrorism, irregular warfare, and missile defense. He studied, worked, and served in the Middle East and North Africa for over 14 years, and in Europe for, 16, for six years. He has also worked and traveled in Asia. He was the U.S. Air Force attache in the Middle East and served in Iraq. After retiring from the Air Force, he worked as a contractor in a variety of positions, including for the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations and Low-Intensity Conflict, and managed a forward-based missile defense radar. He holds advanced degrees in international relations and strategic intelligence, researching authoritarian and totalitarian regimes that threaten the U.S., including examining the strategies and policies of uh, authoritarian regimes in China, Russia, and Iran, which is what brings him to us today. He joined the JPC as a fellow in 2021. He was a Taiwan fellow in Taipei during 2022 and is a visiting scholar at National Chengji University in Taiwan. And he joins us from Taiwan today, where apparently it is now a few minutes into Thursday um, in the middle of the night. So thank you for doing that. And Kermit Lillery, the floor is yours. Well, thank, thanks a lot, Shoshana. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate in a, a JPC uh, uh, seminar, and uh, I welcome questions as we go through this this process. Uh, so, um, what uh, what I'll do is, if it's okay with you, I'll share my screen, and we can proceed. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Let's see here. Go. Share. Let me bring it to the top here. Let's see here. Sorry. Okay. Um, so let me just tell you a little story. Let's start off with that. Um, I've been studying China full time for the last two and a half years, and um, I've been in Taiwan for a year and a half. And I wouldn't be talking about this. Um, without some strong um, indicators that uh, I found in my research recently um, as I was looking at something that was totally, uh, I thought was innocent, um, but in fact became very serious. So um, the, first, the first thing um, I noticed in my, re in my research, I've been, I was studying uh, the, the laws that were passed in China uh, over the last couple of years. And the laws were being passed, let's say, every four, six months time frame. You'd have another law would be passed, and it would seem pretty at a good pace of passing laws in China, major laws. 
And then in March and April and, and, and June and July, there was a massive number of laws passed suddenly. And I thought that was odd. Um, so I thought, I thought, well, what else is going on that's odd? And after a lot of looking around, I found lots of interesting information, obviously. But the, the main thing I thought about was, what is it that Xi Jinping or Xi is worried about with respect to Taiwan? Well, ultimately, he wants Taiwan to be part of China. It never was part of the communist China, and, but it's sort of a legacy uh, issue that, uh, from, from Mao. And Mao tried to take Taiwan a couple of times uh, in the Civil War in 49 and also um, during the 50s. Uh, he, he had plans to do it and it was stopped uh, as a result of the Korean War, et cetera, et cetera. So he really wants Taiwan to be part of China. In fact, it's so important, it's number three on the, on the list of, of core, uh, core interests of the CCP, excuse me, the CCP. So there are basically um, two, Two were uh, two issues that are two ways that Taiwan can be part of uh, China. One is this is according to the um, 2005 anti-succession law. Again, going back to the law, uh, there's two two methods: peaceful means and non-peaceful means. The peaceful means uh, basically means that uh, the people here voluntarily submit to China. That's the peaceful means. Uh, and there was there were several attempts uh, during the former President Ma's administration, um, prior prior to the current president's uh, uh, two terms that she was here that she's been in power. Uh, president Ma tried to push Taiwan to get closer and closer to China, and finally there was a revolt, the Sunflower Movement, and they pushed it pushed him back out uh, uh, out of that. So the problem is is the trend here. For, for, for the communist regime is that the people here are surprised enjoying democracy. And so that trend of working to get the people here convinced that that the that the PRC is is a you know is a is a paradise isn't working. Um, there are a lot of things that they're doing they're using propaganda, they're using uh, all kinds of illicit means and uh, bribes and many, many different things, uh, but it's not working. So the other method, which is the non-peaceful means, which is another, which is a code word for war, but they can't use the word war because war is between two countries and China does not view Taiwan as a country. They view it as a, as a, uh, a bad boy province, you know, uh, a province that, that should should be part of China, but it's not. So non-peaceful means is um, means basically either invading or blockading or doing some kind of strikes and forcing the, the government here to come to uh, capitulate. So as a result of Xi Jinping's actions of scaring people in the region. For example, as uh, uh, when they when they took uh, took Hong Kong, and they changed the timeline for their taking over it from, you know, I think it was in, in, uh, fifty years from the from the date that they signed the accord with uh, the British, um, China accelerated that to like just a few years. So in twenty twenty um, timeframe, there were riots and. Uh, so that was a mistake, and that woke up some people, including people here in Taiwan. The there's many mistakes. I'm just going to highlight three of them. So the second, the second one, of course, is everyone knows about the Pelosi visit last last year, where the PLA launched uh, missiles and they they did all kinds of aggressive activity around Taiwan. Uh, flew flew aircraft, flew ships, did missile tests, did live fire exercises. You know, basically, you know. Did a lot of activity to to uh, express their their uh, disappointment that uh, former former Speaker Pelosi uh, didn't curtail to the CCP. The third time was in April, 
this year when uh, President Tsai uh, was visiting a South American country and on her way back, she met with Speaker McCarthy in, in, uh, in the Reagan Center in California. And they, again, when she came back, they did this massive military exercise. So as a result of that, you know, the US government passed a law in the end of December called the National Defense Authorization Act for 2023. And in that law, it says that the US military will be uh, helping Taiwan's military with training, encourages training and encourages conducting exercises. And, um, and also we have all these weapons that are supposed to be coming here to Taiwan in the next couple of years, about $19 billion of backlog of weapons. So this trend as a result of the Communist Party's action, uh, the trend of training the military for the first time officially since 1979 is a new deal, is a new thing for Taiwan, where there are Americans military here, several hundred, um, that are um, working with all the services here to help them improve their, their, their military. Now, Xi Jinping remembers that uh, the US government did the same thing in Ukraine in 2017, when President Trump approved lethal training uh, to the Ukrainian military. President Obama and the Congress passed the law that Congress authorized the president to allow lethal training, but Obama did not allow that. So, so now we have lethal training from 2017 till 2022, and Putin's war didn't go the way it, it was supposed to go. So that's a problem uh, if the US military is now training the military here. So that's a trend that uh, is bad, bad for the second option that he has, the non-peaceful means. And the longer that the US military is here training, the worse it gets for the potential of, of uh, a quick and easy uh, win for Xi becomes potentially bogged down in, in a World War I type scenario, trench warfare or something like that. So um, uh, let me just go through here. So the other, the other problem is he's also not sure about the PLA. We've read lots of articles uh, about uh, generals being fired and um, uh, replaced by uh, more purist communists as opposed to technocrats, which is what the the rocket forces was full of was technocrats, people with expertise in in science or this uh, or the space force um, under this strategic support force. All these uh, generals were more technocrats than they were, let's say, hardcore communists. The PLA has, hasn't really done anything successful uh, in the last, let's say, 20, 20 plus years. Uh, the war in 1979 with, with, with Vietnam wasn't uh, a stellar uh, result for the PLA. They lost a lot of troops and they eventually withdrew, although they did achieve the fact that the, the Vietnamese uh, pulled out of Cambodia, but the fact is, is that they lost pretty heavily. And then, of course, we have lots of different little little um, tips in, in between um, Vietnam later on in the seventy, uh, before that in seventy four, and then later on with some ships in the in the what I call the Southeast Asian Sea, which other people call the South China Sea. Um, but uh, the the point is, is that they really haven't done anything significant, and so. He doesn't really know if they're going to be successful. So, so we have a situation here where the over time, it's going to get harder and harder for the PLA to be successful uh, to take Taiwan in, in a non-peaceful means. There's a backlog of weapons that are going to be coming here over the next couple of years. So based on that, I started thinking about, okay, so what does this all mean? Well, what happens if he has to figure out, so he has to figure out a way to stop this. And how does he do that? He does that by creating leverage. He has to do something that will force the Americans to negotiate. Uh, he also has to be careful he doesn't start World War III. Um, so it's something in between, 
right? Um, so what I what I sort of suggest is is that perhaps there's a solution to his problem that he's already thought about, and in Taiwan and and people who study Taiwan know and people who study the PLA know that there's been a lot of talk over the over the years about Pratas Island, and Pratas Island is a small island south uh, south by southwest of of uh, Taiwan, and I'll show you a map here shortly. Um, that is that is only uh, occupied by military forces. There's no civilians on the island, and um, it would be kind of like a package that he could perhaps do something there, uh, and and initiate some kind of negotiations with the United States. Um, and I, I and uh, I studied some of the negotiation negotiating techniques that the Chinese have used in the past, the Chinese communists, and they're pretty hardcore, and they don't really back off, and and they're pretty much they they negotiate uh, to get what they want and they don't really care about the other side. It's not a win-win uh, type scenario that a lot of people talk about. This is this is a totally win-lose uh, or win-I-don't-care uh, kind of scenario. So um, uh, let me let me show you a picture of the... So here's a picture of Taiwan, uh, main island here. Uh, and then there's some islands along the coast of, of China that Taiwan owns. There's Matsu, there's a series of small islands called Matsu. There's actually uh, a significant number of people there. I, I'll tell you about this, about the numbers. There's uh, Wushu, and then there's Kinmen. And Kinmen has the, the largest civilian population and, and military of these islands along the coast of China. Now this island set is called Pengu, and it's quite a large um, group of islands. It's fairly close to Taiwan. Uh, and then there's then there's Pradas in this map here. You see Taiwan's here, and it's it's pretty close. It's much closer to, to China actually, but it's pretty far away from Taiwan. But it's it's certainly uh, in, uh, it could basically can will, would control the approaches of the South China Sea and, and southern part of Taiwan. And then there's another island that Taiwan owns. It's called Taiping or Itu Abu, and this island is in the um, Spratly Islands. You know, there's a whole bunch of islands there and a lot of uh, people, a lot of countries have them, militarized those islands, Vietnam, China, Taiwan, uh, Philippines, et cetera. Um, so if you look at these islands, again, my hypothesis is that he, that he needs to test the PLA, that he needs to stop the training of the ROC and he needs to stop or slow down the weapons going to Taiwan. So this theory I have is possibly wrong, um, but I do believe strongly that he needs to stop the training and the weapons deliveries. He might think of something else, okay? But I'm, I'm going with this theory because I think it's the most logical and probably has the least risk for him because if he starts doing something else, uh, then it might bring in other countries. Like if he did something with a Senkaku or with some Philippine island, then we have a problem where the U.S. government is obligated to, to interfere. Whereas with Taiwan, there is no obligation. We have this thing called strategic ambiguity, which means that basically we decide if we want to play or not. Right. So, um, and here's a more zoomed in picture of Taiwan here. And then Pratas Island is down at the lower left-hand corner. Um, so, all right. Let me show you. Here's a graph of the population of these different island sets, um, uh, how big they are in terms of the landmass, distance from Taiwan, ROC uh, or Republic of China, that's Taiwan, troop strength. So Kinmen, as I mentioned, has the largest number of military and also has 60,000 people. Matsu has 2,000. This is rough estimates, okay, 13,000 civilians. Wushu about 400, and then the rest of them basically uh, these two products, and Itu Abu, I mentioned that were more in the South China Sea, have no civilians. And the and Pescadores, which is Pengu, is a large island set, and they have over, over 100,000. So I don't think these large civilian population area, populated areas are really um, targets that, that would be convenient for, let's say, an easy win for, for China and to, to make it, let's say, less CNN-like, where people are dying. Uh, so... Um, Here's another shot of Pratas Island. You can see that there's 240 nautical miles from 
uh, Taiwan, 170 from Hong Kong, and 420 from the Philippines. And here's a close-in ma map of the of the actual island. There's an island here, and, and then there's a sort of like a, a sanctuary, uh, like a, a reef, basically, area here. There's actually a runway and a small uh, contingent of Marines there. And the other island set is Taiping Island or Ituabu, which is way down in the South China Sea. And here's a picture of it from CSIS uh, Maxar photograph. Right. So um, let me tell you why I think things are heating up. Okay, so there's a couple of facts. Uh, basically, out of nowhere, President uh, the White House announces that um, Prime Minister uh, Kashida, President Yoon of South Korea, are going to meet on the 18th of uh, August. That's one data point. Second, or the, mo the more important data point I should have mentioned. I should sorry I didn't. Uh, frame this correctly. Uh, the other the other important, very important thing, as I mentioned, the visit of, of, of uh, Pelosi here and then Tsai to U.S., the vice president here, uh, President Vice President Lai, is going to South America. He's going to Paraguay to the inauguration of the president in Paraguay. He's going to go through the United States, just similar to what President Tsai did uh, in, in April of this year. Uh, and um, China has already expressed its displeasure of the fact that um, the vice president, Lai, is going to be traveling through the United States. He's going to land in New York and then go on to South America and then come back through San Francisco and then back to Taiwan. Uh, so um, if the pattern were the same, it would be basically another, let's say, April of 2022. Lots of planes, lots of ships, lots of uh, activity, and no one would probably notice a whole lot of any. Uh, people would be normally doing their work here and, and not really be concerned. But what happens if he uses that opportunity to take the action I just mentioned, take one of these islands as a deception? So I just want to re remind the audience, and maybe you you know, maybe you don't, but uh, Mao was a very was a very big fan of deception. Uh, in, in, in his, um, his speech on, on protracted war that he gave in 1938, there's a line in it that says, in war, there's never enough deception. So we also have to consider that as an as a, as a angle to all this, is that we've, been, we've become, let's say, used to the, the PLA doing something big when there's something big that they don't like. Um, and so, and this, so that his travel is, he leaves on the 12th of August and he comes back on the 18th. So the 18th of August is an important date because usually when they come back is when the PLA does something. So why would President Biden suddenly want to talk to the prime minister of Japan and the, and the president of South Korea? Well, Guess what? That's those are countries that we have alliances with. That we also have a large number of military forces there. Um, you know, about uh, fifty thousand or so in, in South Korea, and about twenty-five thousand in Japan. That's where our, our main forces are in the in the Indo-Pacific arena uh, area. So that was a little odd. And actually, today um, it was announced that President Biden is going to go to Vietnam to upgrade relations with uh, the communist re regime in Vietnam. Um, and didn't say the date. Okay, so this, let's go through some of the military stuff. And um, let me, let me, uh, let me pull up this map. Okay, so this is a map by CIG, uh, CI Geography. And it was up till uh, about a year of aircraft flights that the PLA had done uh, around Taiwan and near Japan. And you can see in the lower left-hand corner, there's a lot of you know, lines and it's really lit up in the, in the lower, lower left corner. And here's a zoom in of, of that here, right here, there you go. So you can see here, there's a lot of aircraft flying uh, uh, through the end of 2021. And guess what? It's on the other, it's, it's, it basically splits off the Taiwan Pradas area. Um, so there's been a lot of activity there uh, and some activity be between uh, basically 
splitting the Senkaku Islands uh, that the Japanese have, but not as much as down here, right? So this map was done by um, Janes, and they did uh, basically from March of last year to March of this year, all the aircraft patterns. And again, it, again, you look at the lower left-hand corner, it's quite messy. And uh, you can see the little Pratas Island right there. It says Pratas Island. And, you know, these flights are, are obviously cutting, cutting tai, uh, Taiwan, the main island, from Pratas Island. Uh, so that's, that's, the, that's part of the military argument. Um, there's been some exercises. Um, and here's just one other thing, uh, sort of the patterns. Um, uh, the, here is basically pictures of the, the different regions around. They've divided into different regions, you know, the, the area here east of Taiwan and going clockwise, or I guess the opposite would be uh, along the midline. This midline was, was formulated by the US and China uh, in, the, in the 50s, uh, sort of as a safety line to prevent, to make sure that people wouldn't react to each other. Um, and then uh, three is on the north north side, four is on the south side, and five is on the uh, southwest side. And if you look down here, the, you can see the, the, that there are, things are pretty flat. And then the medium line, there's a lot, been a lot of activity starting in 2022. That's, as, that's, that's the Pelosi, Pelosi visit, uh, massive increase of, of cross, crossing that midline. And then nothing in the really not a whole lot in the northeast, not, not not much in the southern. But again, if you look at five, which is the southeast corner where Pradas is, showing uh, the public uh, the flights. Right. So, um, I'm like, all right. Recently, uh, at the end of August, they also uh, on the Navy side, they they did some missile tests off. This is Hainan Island. This is Taiwan right here. I don't know if you can see the, my mouse. Can you see my mouse? Okay, great. Um, and then up here, they did a, they did some um, live fire things. And then they announced also, oh, by the way, the Shandong uh, aircraft carrier is floating around here too. Um, so you've got some naval activities, some testing going on, maybe not so unusual. But again, if you start putting all these things together and you start seeing a pattern of a lot of activity in lots of different dimensions. Now, I have some friends here who uh, monitor the, the disinformation channels in, chi in China. And uh, I, I asked them if they had seen anything unusual. And they said, yes, actually, there's a lot of unusual activity. I said, well, what is it? They said, usually every year in June, the, um, let's say the propaganda machine uh, basically takes June off or most of June and then starts up again in July. And they said this year, for the first time, they didn't start up. Basically, they're still down. Uh, and the people who are monitoring this are actually a bit worried about this, that they don't know what it means. And so I've been in contact with them, giving them my ideas about what it means. And so um, we've, we've had lots of conversations. What it could mean is that this is the time before the full-on disinformation campaign will, will uh, could go on. Again, individually, these events might not mean anything, but you start putting them together, you start you start scratching your head and wondering, well, why are the, all these things lining up? Right. Okay. So um, let's see here. Sorry. Uh, I want to go here. All right. Here's something. Uh, again, I look at patterns. So. Um, I mean, yeah, this year in, on 3rd of April, when Cy, uh, around the time that Cy met McCarthy in, in, in California, we had basically four flat tops, either aircraft carrier or a Hello Hilo carrier in the region, um, sort of either intentionally or unintentionally, basically telling China to, to, you know, you can do your little exercise, but don't get too excited, right? Um, and then in August, when Pelosi was was here, we also had about four four aircraft carriers or our uh, flat tops in the in the, in the close vicinity of, of Taiwan, which is right there. Now, this is a picture of last week, end of July, uh, the two aircraft carriers that are currently in the Indo Pacific 
region is the is the USS Reagan and the uh, and the uh, Marine um, amphibious uh, group on the America. It's a helicopter carrier. So they're down in around Australia doing uh, talisman uh, saber exercise with the Australians and 12 other or 11 other total of 13 countries. But they're way down here. It's nothing here uh, near Taiwan. And then the, the most recent update uh, this week, the, Ra the Reagan looks like it's steaming pretty quickly up, up to uh, uh, into the uh, Southeast Asian Sea. And um, it could be coming to hang out near Taiwan, or it could be coming in response to what's happening in the, in the Philippine Sea, uh, which uh, many of you might have read about in terms of the um, uh, the video you might have seen of the of the Chinese Coast Guard spraying water uh, with a high pressure uh, water cannon against the Philippine Navy ship, and then we came out. The U.S. came out with statements about you know any attack on a on a Philippine na naval ship is an, is uh, would would invoke the the uh, treaty that we have with the Philippines. So this aircraft carrier could be, and its and its associated ships could be coming up to help the Philippines. The problem with all this is that it, it's possible that the um, the Chinese Coast Guard and the Chinese Navy want the the Reagan um, uh, carrier strike group to show up there and stay in the Philippines, near the Philippines and not go to Taiwan. In other words, divide and conquer. In other words, create uh, a crisis and lock down uh, forces that could be helping Taiwan. And there's not a whole lot of, uh, this is a Coast Guard ship, US Coast Guard ship, that's why it's there. Uh, but that's it. There's only two carrier uh, you know, groups or battle groups nearby. So it's an opportunity for China to do something because there really isn't anything around in terms of uh, on the Navy side. Now there you know, might be some submarines. Uh, of course, the US Air Force has, uh, uh, and Marines and, and the Navy have uh, uh, bases in on Okinawa. And also we have the ability to work with the Philippine government if they agree to have, to use their air bases in the Northern part of the Philippines for a response to a Taiwan crisis. But the question is whether or not the US government would respond to something like taking a small island um, from Taiwan. According to the or, uh, original mutual defense treaty that we had with Taiwan from 1955 to 1979, um, those islands, those small islands were not part of the treaty. Uh, only Pengu, that one that had like 100,000 people on it close to Taiwan, uh, and of course, the island of Taiwan was designated as the area that we, when we had a treaty with Taiwan, we would be willing to fight and help them. So all these other islands, uh, Kinmen, Matsu, uh, Pradas, Abu, they were never part of the treaty. So the question is, if China were to take these, uh, these islands, would the United States do anything about it? Or would we try to negotiate you know, a de-escalation type scenario. Another part of this thing on the Navy side, uh, and, and I'm just talking about the Navy a little bit because I, I just wanted to emphasize, this is a, this is a nice picture, you know, from the uh, Talisman Sword exercise. It's a picture of uh, Australian equivalent of a carrier or a flat top, a Japanese, a South Korean, and a US. But that's also bad because that means they're down near Australia. They're not available to help if there's a crisis around Taiwan, should those governments want to meet. I mean, uh, sorry, should these governments want to help Taiwan, they're not really available, at least as of during the exercise, which ended on the 4th of, of August. So the question is, are these, these ships steaming quickly up north to get there uh, before something gets uh, happens in, the, in that, in that re region? So, so this was the announcement here of the, statement from the, the White House about uh, the, the president meeting with the three leaders, uh, the, sorry, the two leaders of Japan and South Korea. And, um, and interestingly enough, here's another pattern. Uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is closed <laughs> until the 11th of August. Uh, the Chinese, uh, the, the Chinese uh, I guess, are on vacation. So if anybody had any questions about what the Chinese intentions are, 
with Taiwan, you know, there's no public way to do it except you could send an email to the press office and they, they might or might not respond. Um, the other, another aspect too is uh, Xi Jinping and his, uh, his group of uh, friends are on vacation and they're all vacating, uh, doing vacation, uh, I think about an hour, uh, an hour outside of uh, Beijing. Well, isn't that a wonderful opportunity to plan a, a campaign? Um, you know, maybe they're getting uh, massages and swimming, but you know, in between all that, they could easily be meeting and, and planning and conspiring to do something against Taiwan. Um, our Congress is in recession, or sorry, in, <laughs> not recession, it is in recess uh, from the end of July until the beginning of September. So Congress is not in session. Uh, oh, I also forgot to mention that they also, the, the social media monitor uh, colleagues I have here, they said that um, that the propaganda, say disinformation channels um, are down, but also there are other channels that are, that are, that are still, that are not, let's say, um, one, one channel that, uh, that they talked about was uh, usually gets 100,000 hits a day and it's getting zero. It's not up, it's dead. Um, so that's another indicator. Um, let's see if I have some other things here. Uh, we can talk about some other indicators, but I'm basically, this is a slide I just wanted to sort of give a summary uh, of what I talked about, and we can get into question Q&A, and the, uh, like I said, there's other trends. Uh, for, for example, the DPRK uh, a couple days ago came out, North Korea, uh, came out with a statement saying that, uh, you know, um, the U.S. government providing uh, weapons and, and, and help to Taiwan is, is terrible, and we support whatever China does. So why are they saying that now? Okay, so anyway, so I talked about the motivation, the challenges the, for Xi Jinping, uh, uh, the most likely course of action, um, the most dangerous would be an invasion or blockade, which I don't think the PLA is ready for. I really don't think they're ready for that. And it's a very high risk activity for Xi Jinping to do and if, if they don't do it, if they're not successful, he's he's done. So, um, and of course, they might just do another exercise, and you know, you know, we can uh, they could just do you know these are not the droids you're looking for. Just continue on and expect uh, expect that. But I don't think so. So back to you, Shoshana. Okay, um, I'll take it back. And if you would close your shared screen, I can sure. get to some of the questions that we have. Um, but as we get there, you framed what Xi Jinping needs to know in terms of his military and military capabilities. Um, and since we're just speculating, can we speculate on something else? China's sure. having economic problems. China's yep. having all kinds of problems. And there are a lot of people who are not happy with Xi. Is it possible that when you face domestic difficulties, one of the things people sometimes do is head for um foreign adventures so could yep. he be looking for a foreign adventure to not for he doesn't consider it foreign he considers taiwan part of china but yep. is he looking for an outside adventure to take the heat off himself at home yes i mean uh, the the economy is tanking um there's also another report came out today uh about how china's hoarding gold it's been hoarding it for the last nine months they've been hoarding food uh another report came out by the, you know, the economist said that uh, they have about 18 months supply of food. Uh, they've been buying extra food. Um, you know, 18 months for 1.4 billion people. That's a lot of food. Yeah. <laughs> of food. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't do that just because, you know, you're Joseph and you're talking to the Pharaoh. You know, this is this is real stuff. Uh, you know, uh, this is real serious stuff. Um, we also know that Warren Buffett uh, with Berkshire Hathaway pulled um, pulled on the not uh, pulled out uh, some of his uh, investments in China. And also he zeroed out his investment with T TSMC, which is uh, the, the semiconductor, the largest semiconductor company here in Taiwan. He originally invested $4.1 billion, uh, I think in late fall of last year. And then he pulled it all out uh, in, in March and April of this year, like pulled it out. So you know when when people who have lots of money are investing and they and they, they take action to take their money out, 
that's a huge indicator. Another indicator, I talked to a colleague this, this evening who was telling me that most, most American companies are pulling out, if they can, out of China. Um, not because they're thinking there's a war, but rather because of the treatment they're getting and uh, the, the inability to conduct business. So basically, it's getting down to you know, the, the fact that there are companies that are still, US companies are still in China, but, but most of the ones that can leave are leaving or have left. So these are all, again, more indicators that something's up because uh, people you know, don't want to lose their money. Right. And these are more indicators that the Chinese economy is going to continue to have trouble which continues to put the pressure on G, which could, you know, so you can follow that path. Um, so you're sort of saying what um, General Minahan said in the Air Force back in February, I guess it was, that we're not looking at a 10 year timeline as the US has sort of projected or yeah. less of the 2027 or whatever it is. But General Minahan, thinks that we should be prepared to do something in the next 12 to 18 months. I always think it's a good idea when military people want to be prepared ahead of what the problem looks like. So you're positing a possibility that's even faster than General Minahan's. So the difference, what I'm saying is I'm talking about a small test of the PLA. Mm -hmm. He's talking about invasion or blockade or something uh -huh. bigger than what I'm talking about. I think there's going to be that there has to be a, a a real world operational test of the capability to demonstrate to Xi Jinping that these people that the PLA can do their job. Um, so, I'm yeah that timeline is different and and just to make a make a note a little fine note on that what General Minahan said it was a leaked document that wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to go out in the press. Uh, I actually worked for his father when I was in the Air Force, but anyway, that's a, that's a side note. Um, but um, yeah, uh, so the, look, the mil US military, any military is supposed to be prepared for anything. You know, it's a you know, Boy Scout on steroids with lots of weapons. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, you, you never really want to be in a situation where you're not prepared. Um, and I'm sure that the, um, you know, in the Taiwanese government also is, has, has ratcheted up their training, uh, um, uh, since, um, about, uh, again, before Tsai, uh, former president Ma reduced the, the military conscription time from one year to four months. President Tsai has increased it back to a year starting in January. Mm -hmm. So, so once that starts, then the number of active duty military uh, will go up. Again, it's a headache. More military means more headache for, for the PLA, which means more headache for Xi. So again, that's that's where I'm getting at is that there are that trend, the the non-peaceful means trend is going the wrong way, and he needs to flatten it. So I what I predict is he's going to do something and try to negotiate with the US. And one of the things he'll probably do is he'll say, if you wanna sit down and talk with me, you need to stop all the training and you need to stop uh, any, any uh, weapons shipments to, to Taiwan, and then we can sit down and talk. If you don't, then I'm gonna continue doing something that you don't like. So this leads us to a question from a listener. Okay. And I know you study China, but I know you also look at the United States government. He asks, do you think President Biden uh, would give the go-ahead for the United States to take back or do something about a small island um, along the lines of what we've done with Ukraine. We've basically committed ourselves to the Ukraine war, uh, as the president says, you know, for as long as it goes on, which could be a long time. Would he do the same for Taiwan if Taiwan wants to get back that island? Or do you think he would negotiate a way out, which would leave Taiwan without its island? So, so I, 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 I think that um, the Taiwanese people are, are committed to Pradas uh, Island, for example. I don't think the U.S. military, I don't think that the president would risk spilling U.S. military blood for an island um, that has no strategic value to the United States. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, they could now, if they had, you know, cojones, they, they would, 
double down, right? That's that's another way to respond. Is like, oh yeah, you want to do that? We're sending you more U.S. military to Taiwan. We're going to increase the number of weapons sent sent to Taiwan. Oh, and by the way, Japan and uh, South Korea are going to join up, and you know we're going to do exercises in the Taiwanese military. You know, so you can go that route, right? I mean, that's my preferred course of action. But I don't think that this government, you, the current government, especially with Blinken, um, uh, you know, he's not the kind of guy that likes to talk talk hard to the to the to the PRC. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really see that. I'm hoping, okay. So I'm hoping that, 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 uh, the Reagan, uh, uh, carrier strike group is going to go to help Taiwan, but I don't think that if, if we wanted to, they're going to stop us because they're going to create a problem with the Philippine Navy and we're going to have to deal with that. And so I think that even if we wanted to, we're going to be Put in these challenging situations where there it's going to be it's going to be difficult for us to really respond in a way uh, to uh, to do that. Now again, Taiwan has an option too, right? They could they could reinforce those that those islands. They could um, um, put uh, anti ship missiles. You know, they could make basically those islands like Taiwan. You know, and make it make it very painful for the PLA to take it. Um, how so, long would that take? Is that a long-term uh, proposition or can you do it fast? Well, I mean, they have ships and they have airplanes. They could, they could, they have C-130s and, uh, you know, so they could add, add a lot of people very quickly uh, and a few ships uh, there, you know, about 200 miles, you know, they could be there, you know, within 12 hours, uh, you know, given the fact that they need to load up the ships. So, you know, within a couple of days, they could easily, reinforce those islands. Now, the question is, am I right? I mean, uh, they probably don't want to do anything that, you know, if they're not, if they're not seeing the indicators I am, they might not do anything at all. So it's, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm not in charge. So <laughs> I can only, I can only, uh, you know, make suggestions, you know, and then they can throw them in the trash can. So, you know. <laughs> but we do have another question from a listener. Um, the Taiwanese can do whatever they want. They are a country. Do you think, asks the listener, that the military uh, and the people of Taiwan have the will and the material and the training to deter or to take back uh, the island should the Chinese, should you be right and the Chinese actually threaten that island? Are they going to do it? Or are they going to say, wait a minute, without the United States here, I can't do it alone? So historically, they have done it alone. Uh, in the 50s, um, the Kinmen was a battleground uh, and the Taiwanese military fought back and, and prevented the PLA from taking over the island. Uh, there was another battle that they lost and there was no US military involved until after the battle and then the US, the seventh fleet showed up and uh, evacuated the, the, the survivors, uh, the, the civilians and, and some of the POWs that they caught. But, but the Taiwanese uh, have demonstrated in the past uh, that they that they are, are, have the will and the and the capability to fight. The question is, how long do they have that ability? Just like the Ukrainians, we're we're shoving as, uh, you know as many weapons as we can and training them as quickly as we can. But you know, if we can't provide those weapons or that training to Ukraine, they would eventually crumble. Right, so that's the problem with Taiwan. Uh, so, you know, a good response, in my opinion, would be to, as General Minahan talked about, is you know, he's in charge of logistics for the Air Force and sending things. So we would have to do something like a, a Berlin airlift, basically, and ships as quickly as we can to Taiwan and load load them up, uh, and you know increase the training uh so you know we we might we might uh work with the taiwanese government uh, you know the u.s could say something like this okay you know you you've, you're going to lose or you've lost products but we're going to help you make sure that you don't lose uh the, the main island and let's say pengu or other 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 islands and um no so 
to answer the other part of the question, there are many Taiwanese people I've talked to that are, are both willing and able to fight. Um, the question is, is uh, will they have enough weapons and enough time to get everything ready? Uh, if it's just the island and that's all that happens, you know, I, I don't know if they would fight to the death to get the island back. I, I don't know that. That's a political decision that I don't know. I don't have a feel for that, uh, honestly. But I do know that they have a very strong feeling towards Pradas and Kinmen and Matsu and all these other islands that are close to uh, China. Uh, when, and the one, especially the ones that have civilian populations on them. I mean, you know, they, you know. Uh, now, there are people who live on those islands who are also, you know, willing to live under communist rule. So, you know, that that's another that's another question. That's another issue. But the majority, the vast majority of the people here, 86 percent of the people here want status quo, status quo moving towards independence or independence now. The other uh, the other percentage is, is like split. Uh, the other uh, half of those people that are left over didn't answer the survey and they've been doing it for like the last 30 years and about eight percent are wanting status quo moving towards unification or unification now so the percentages are clearly in the favor of the people who want to maintain their democracy which we haven't really talked about, but that that is a big motivating factor, I suppose, for the Taiwanese people. They see what living under communist rule looks like next door, and they see they have a democracy, and democracies well, have their problems. We all yeah, do. but I would also point out that they lived under a dictatorship. They did. Also, uh, they did from 1949 to the late 80s. So that's like 40 years. Uh, so they know what a dictatorship is and, you know, their parents, you know, the grandparents or the parents lived under that. And I've met many people who've talked about that. And so they they call it the white terror period. And it was literally terror. You know, they were terrorized. So they they know what a dictatorship is. And they also have family. Some of them have family members uh, in China or they have people working in China, just like the U.S. has Americans in China. Right. So they also they've also seen seen that. And they've also seen what happened in Hong Kong to the people there. They've also seen what what happens to people who who speak out of line. Uh, there's Taiwanese in jail, just like there are Americans in jail in China. Uh, so you know, everybody knows what it means to be under uh, communist rule. Uh, it's just some people maybe think that they can benefit from that if they do the right thing. I don't know. So here we have a Taiwan a, a Taiwan mainland question. Uh, how well is Taiwan prepared to defend? against a biowarfare attack, says the uh, questioner, like the one launched against the world in 2019. Presumably that's COVID-19. Um, how prepared yeah, are they for these things? Okay, so I don't know if you know this, this uh, factoid, but it was actually Taiwan that tried to warn WHO before anybody else warned WHO that there was something strange happening in China because they have people in China and they, they, they knew something was up. The reason they knew something was up is because they experienced SARS uh, about a decade before. So they were very sensitive. Many countries in Asia are very, um, um, let's say, uh, worried about diseases. Uh, when I traveled to Singapore, when I traveled to um, um, Australia, or uh, uh, you know, uh, especially uh, uh, Singapore, you know, they were very strict about, you know, making sure that you were healthy. Uh, this is pre-COVID. Okay, so so Asia has been hit by lots of um, biological, either natural or unnatural uh, agents. And the Taiwanese, actually, the Taiwanese gave a lot of masks away in the very beginning because they they knew they knew what was happening. And so they were ginning up their uh, their industry to deal with their own people. And then they they made excess and they gave away a lot. And I, I don't know if you remember, but um, Secretary of State Pompeo uh, mentioned the fact that in the, in the White House, they were all in the beginning of the COVID outbreak, they were all wearing Taiwanese masks, right. Right. you know? They were. So, so, so yeah, they're, they're prepared, but you know, 
depends on what kind of bioweapon it is. I mean, if it's something that kills people 90% of the time, if you get it, then no one's going to be prepared for that. Right. Okay. Um, someone just wrote in. <clears throat> I was just in Australia, and the people there are very concerned that with the U.S. Uh, based in the north of Australia, they can be pulled into a war over Taiwan that they don't want. Right. Are, are well, the listen, Australians in or are the Australians out? Look, no one wants to no one wants to be involved in a war. I mean, everybody. I mean, it's a natural, natural instinct. But, you know, I, I had this uh, discussion with another colleague. Uh, some people are saying, like, well, if there's if there's a war, you know, if if things get hot with Taiwan, we could end up with World War Three. Well, my response is really we can end up World War Three with China trying to take the Senkaku or uh, there's something going on in, with North Korea and South Korea. I mean, there's a lot of pathways to war. Uh, and it's not all the fault of Taiwan. Um, I mean, the Philippine thing could could escalate too. I mean, it's currently escalating now. Uh, so, um, and you know, to be pulled into a war, well, you know, the Australians have voluntarily participated with us in almost every war that we got pulled into ourselves, right? I mean, uh, you know, uh, from World War One onward, um, the you know many of those wars uh, were not necessarily something that we wanted to get involved with. So, um, and uh, luckily for Australia, the Japanese didn't take that big island. You know, uh, that would have been a, a problem, and we were helping defend them against the Japanese. So, you know, I would say that anyone who talks about being pulled into it, I would say, well, if we're if we don't get involved and if they don't get involved, then then their future is is determined by their actions. Uh, so that's part of the reason why I think that the, that the President Biden announced that he was going to be going to Vietnam to upgrade relations with Vietnam, because Vietnam is realizing they have to make a choice. And I think that's going to be the case of all the countries in 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 uh, the Indo-Pacific region. And I think the better choice is the U.S. because we actually have lots of um, we're 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 in a better position to deal with China than China is to try to deal with us um, because we have lots of territory in the uh, Pacific Ocean uh, besides Guam, besides Hawaii. We have lots of other uh, we have the um the uh the four compact states uh which which are countries that according to the un um the u.s government provides for their self their defense um and we have allies also that like australia uh and and even france has a huge france is it has the almost uh, i think it's they have 1.5 million people living in the indo-pacific and they have the largest um, area ocean because of, the, of these islands than any other country in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, and England, UK has Diego Garcia. They have the, the former Commonwealth states. They have, a, they have an alliance with, um, with um, uh, four other countries. Uh, not, not, uh, it's a Commonwealth alliance. So, and there's a lot of cross-cutting alliances that have been um, established in the last, let's say, couple of years, uh, we have uh, we had uh, the U.S. government uh, had uh, four agreements made with India, so we're one step away from a treaty uh, with India. Uh, Japan has made um, arrangements with Australia and the U.K. Uh, reciprocal um, access agreements. So if uh, British warships were to come into Japan, they could get service there. There's and South Korea and Japan are, ma are making up. Uh, there's a lot of um, uh, activity going on on the, let's say the good guy side. Um, and um, I'm hopeful that over time, again, we have a good trend. We're, we're making alliances with countries uh, that were, let's say borderline uh, or not convinced. Or in the case of the Philippines, they're actually kind of, you know, rooting for the other side for a little while. So, um, yeah, I think things are looking good. I think that's why Xi Jinping has to do something. 
<laughs> so that's both good news and bad news. If things weren't looking good, he wouldn't necessarily feel the need to do this. Um, so maybe our good news is his bad news, which brings us to the end of our program because we're starting to run over. And this was a great um, mind exercise. You know, what's happening and what could it be? Most of our speakers come on and they tell us, you know, this is what's real and this is what's not real. But I think this was very important because we have trouble sometimes understanding both our allies and our adversaries. And so I think maybe the best you can do sometimes is put together the tea leaves and see where you come out. And you've done a great job of that. I think you've prompted us to think about what's going on in the region. And for that, I thank you. And it was lovely to see you again. And I appreciate your help to the Jewish Policy Center. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I, I hope I'm wrong and nothing happens at the end of next week. But Hi. Good thought. The, tea leaves, the tea leaves are are telling me something different. I hope you're wrong, too. I'm going to end on that note. I hope you're wrong. Thank you.